Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Those of you who come regularly to New Life know that Nancy, my wife, and I were in a car accident on March 19th, and we went back on Friday for the checkup at the trauma unit um, to see how we were doing, and I officially uh, was diagnosed with a concussion that day. Um, I already knew that, but they finally got around to telling me that, and actually, there's a person that comes to first service here. I didn't know this until today, but he's a medical doctor, and he specializes in neuro whatever, you know, head trauma, basically. And, and, I, and he said to me, well, scans like they do in the emergency rooms don't show up concussions. They should ask you some questions and whatever. Uh, maybe they did. I don't remember. But anyway, what I know is that um, the, the symptoms have been lingering. The reason I'm sitting today is I'm sort of dizzy and lightheaded today. Um, my short-term memory is the biggest thing that's missing. So if you're here for the first time today, I'm usually really good at remembering people's names. I haven't been so much for the last month. I apologize ahead of time if I don't remember your name because that's very important to me. I, I want to know who you all are and I want to remember you. But uh, these days it's a little bit more challenging. In fact, there were three people standing out in the worship gathering area um, who had served yesterday and I thanked two of them and then I didn't remember that the third had served yesterday too. Felt really bad after that. Um, but then I, I finally remembered, oh, you were here too. And she's like, oh, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Um, but I, I just apologize, you know, so I'm doing the best I can, and I don't know how long this stuff's going to go on. In fact, I asked the guy, he goes, well, you know, I said, they gave me a prescription to go to the concussion clinic. Do I really need to do that? He goes, yes, you really need to do that. So I guess I will be going to the concussion clinic. So here we are in the midst of a series. As you can tell, it's called Amazing Grace. It actually is that smack dab in the middle because it's the third of five messages, and today what we're going to talk about is forgiveness, and I'm going to introduce that in a sort of an interesting way. Most of you know that I grew up in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. And some of you might not even believe that Gypsy exists. But last night, my brother Ken was here, and he confirmed to the whole group who was here that Gypsy does exist. Um, and we grew up there. You may know that we went to Gypsy Christian Church. But what you probably don't know, very few of you would know, is that I first received the love of Jesus Christ at Gypsy Christian Church through Grandma Cant's. Grandma Kantz was an old lady, and I mean, she really was an old lady even when I was a little kid, probably like 80-something, and, uh, and at the age of seven, I found out that Grandma Kantz wasn't my grandma. Um, you know how when you get older and you start to realize like your mom's mom is your grandma? Well, I said to my mom, so how's Grandma Kantz our grandma? She's like, she's not your grandma. I was devastated. You know, I thought I, I just lost a grandma that day. But here, the reason she was called Grandma Cants by everybody is she loved Jesus so much and she loved children so much that we all just received the love of Jesus from Grandma Cants. So I first received the love of Jesus from Grandma Cants and others at Gypsy Christian Church. And then at the age of 12, on June the 13th, 1969, I looked it up one time, um, it was the end of vacation Bible school. And that's when I first committed my life to Jesus as a 12 year old. And then uh, as a 15 year old, at that same Gypsy Christian Church, I left because of the hypocrites there. Um, and some of you have heard this story before. But what happened was there were these two old ladies. They were like 40-something, you know. <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were talking with each other. And the one was telling about a TV show that she had watched the night before. It was terrible. All these terrible things were going on, you know. And, and back in the, that would have been in the 60s or maybe early 70s. Uh, you know, the TVs didn't have remote controls, but they did have channel changers. And I said to the lady, did your TV have a channel changer? She's like, yes. I said, does it have an on-off button? 
She said, yes. And I said, so why did you feel compelled not only to turn off the television or to change the channel, but, but to come to church the next day and tell this lady about how terrible the show is? I don't understand that. You see, I was a zealous young Christian. I'd only been a Christian for like three years, and I thought everybody should be perfect. And since she wasn't perfect, they're all hypocrites. And so I went home that day, and I said to my mom, Mom, I'm never going back to church again because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I don't recommend this response. But my mother said nothing. No pushback, no lecture. She just said, okay. Because she knew that I was going to keep reading my Bible. She knew I was going to keep telling people about Jesus. She knew I wasn't giving up on Jesus. I was just giving up on, you know, a few people who weren't perfect. And uh, that went on. I, I didn't go to church for a year and a half or so. And then we got a new pastor. And many of you have heard of stories about this new pastor, Andy Wygant. And the reason I bring all of this to you this morning is because I have never met anyone really before or since, who was a better example of God's grace and forgiveness than Pastor Andy Wygant. And when he came, he wasn't even officially a pastor. He had just graduated from Harvard, and I didn't understand why in the world a Harvard graduate ended up in Gypsy. I thought he wasn't as smart as a Harvard graduate should be, you know, because I thought you should find a different place with more than like 40 people in your church. And then I found out he wasn't even a pastor. He was just a lay pastor. And then I found out all he had was the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and a power of the Holy Spirit, and a call on his life to serve Jesus. And I saw that really from a distance, because I didn't go to church. Like I said, for six months after Andy came, I never still went to church. And uh, he became friends with me, and we started doing Bible studies every week. And he would take me to hospitals to do hospital calls with him. And the fun part for me, the most fun part, was we would play racquetball at IUP. Andy had been a tennis player and a squash player at Harvard. Undefeated varsity tennis and squash player, four seasons. And so we would go to IUP, and we would play racquetball, and the way it worked is you, you would just challenge somebody, and if you won, you got to keep the court, and if you lost, you got to leave the court. So whenever we would play and we would start to lose, Andy would just say, Chris, go stand in the corner. <laughs> and he would just take over, two on one, and he would beat the other team, and then we'd get to keep playing. And I didn't mind, because I like winning, I hate losing, you know, we never lost, we never did. I shouldn't say we, he never lost, you know, sometimes I got to play. But uh, I learned how to play racquetball, and we had fun together. And after six months of this, one day Andy said to me, Chris, why don't you come to church? Now, he didn't say it with judgmental, you know, tone. He didn't say it in any kind of critical way. He just said, why don't you come to church? I said, well, Andy, you know, there are a bunch of hypocrites there. And he didn't push back on that. He just said, well, Chris, aren't you on the football team? Sure. Well, are there any hypocrites on the football team? Yeah. Uh, he said, do you eat lunch in the cafeteria? I said, sure I do. He said, well, are there any hypocrites in the cafeteria? I said, well, yeah, some. And he said, Chris, did you ever do anything hypocritical yourself? And I said, yeah. I said, Andy, I, I, what's your point? And he said, well, I always figured I'd rather go to church with a hypocrite than to hell with him. Whew, okay, well, I went to church that next week. <laughs> and actually, I haven't hardly missed a Sunday of church since, you know, and in all of those years, which is now 40-some years, I've been in eight different churches. And you know what? I found hypocrites in every one because I was in every one. And there's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is simply this. Hypocrisy is when what we say is this far from what we do. This is hypocrisy. And the closer what we say and what we do, this is Jesus. Jesus always does what he says and says what he does. But, you know, there's hypocrisy to some degree in all of our lives. And I tell you this story because we're talking about forgiveness today. And when Andy Wygant, at 
for me at the age of 15, uh, came into my life, I saw somebody who was always loving and forgiving, and I had never seen somebody like that before. Now remember, I'm talking about something that happened when I was basically 16 to 18 years old. That's how long he was at Gypsy. And, and I thought he was perfect, and I'm sure he wasn't. And that's called the editing of grace, you know, when you just remember the good things about somebody. But I really do just remember good things about Andy. And so today, as I, you know, put forward this illustration to get us started, what I'm trying to do is show you a couple of things. Number one is that there are people in the world who go to church who aren't perfect. You might be surprised by that. Okay. Number two is there are people in the church who are more mature than others. And Andy was one of those. And, and the more mature we get, the more loving and the more forgiving we are because we understand how much we've been loved and how much we've been forgiven. So today's message is titled this, Forgive Him Slash Her, It'll Teach Him a Lesson. And uh, that might seem like a strange title to you. But back when I was a kid in the 60s, there was a commercial on television. And I Googled this. It took me a half an hour to verify one thing. There actually was a commercial like this. I, I wanted to show it on the screen. It's an awesome commercial, but you can't, you can't get the commercial, just the gist of the commercial. Here's the gist of the commercial. There was this ranch in Texas, and these, this commercial was all stick figures, okay? So there's a ranch in Texas, and there's this rich rancher. He has a big ranch, has a lot of ranch hands, a lot of cows, a lot of horses, everything. They're all little stick things, okay? And then there's this poor guy who lives next door on the next to the ranch. And he's hungry because he doesn't have any food. So he goes, Leo walks over, little stick guy walks over to the ranch, picks up a cow, okay, and walks back over. And he's, as he's walking back to his house to feed his family, a couple of ranch hands catch him. And they take him to the rancher. And the rancher acts as judge and jury. And he goes, string him up. It'll teach him a lesson. Whoa. As a little kid, I thought, wow, that's pretty harsh. You know? And, and then... The, the commercial continues, this rancher guy, he lies down in his bed, and, and his little bubble goes up, and he's dreaming, all right? And he's standing in front of God, and he's cowering down in front of God, and God says, forgive him, it'll teach him a lesson. And that commercial, which was put on by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, has stayed with me all of these years. And, and the reason is because even as like an 11 or 12-year-old when it came out, there were two immediate thoughts, and they were conflicting that went through my mind. The first time I saw it, I went, wow, that's amazing how much God forgives. I, I just can't believe that God would forgive a guy who lynched a guy. I mean, how can God do that? And then the second thing that came into my mind was, wait a minute, that guy never asked to be forgiven. The, the rancher didn't ask God to forgive him. How do you get to be forgiven by God if you don't receive the gift of forgiveness that God gives in Jesus Christ? And then I realized as I got older, the reason that commercial could be shown the way it was is because the theology of the Mormons is different. They don't believe that Jesus is actually God. That he's fully God. They, they don't believe that there's one God who, who expresses himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They don't believe that if if not for the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross, all of us would deserve to be in hell forever. They don't believe that. But, but that's what I believe. And, and the thing that I, I need you to know is a lot of people believe a lot of different things about God in the world in which we live. And there are people who don't even believe in God in the world in which we live. But here at New Life, we take what we believe about God from this book. It's called the Bible. And, and we believe that what's in these 66 books that make up one book is the truth. And we recognize there are many people in the world, in fact, billions of people in the world who don't believe this book is the Word of God. 
But it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what's true. And so we trust this as the truth. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to consider the difference between grace and forgiveness. Actually, the difference and the similarity. Because there are differences, but there are similarities. And, and the difference between grace and, similar, and forgiveness needs to be demonstrated by definition. The definition of grace, and there are about seven or eight definitions in the, in the dictionary about grace. But the one we're talking about would be this. Mercy... Clemency, pardon. God's amazing grace, which we're talking about in these five weeks, is that we get what we don't deserve. We get forgiveness. I mean, the thing that's true about the commercial with the little stick figures is God does say to us, forgive him, her. It'll teach him a lesson. But after we've received the gift, that's the key. And just as Pastor Brad talked about last week, grace means getting what we don't deserve. We all deserve to to go to hell. We all deserve to be separated from God forever because of our sin. Sin is breaking God's will. And we deserve, all of us in this room and everybody everywhere who's ever lived or ever will live, we're all sinners. And so what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5, which Pastor Brad mentioned and emphasized very fully last week, is this, that God's grace or love is shown to us in this, that Christ Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Because God is just and good, he can't just say, hey, let him in. It'll teach him a lesson. God has to do something to pay the penalty, and he did. He sent Jesus, his own and only son, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life, a life we couldn't live, to die on the cross to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay, and then to rise again to demonstrate that he is indeed God. Now, the thing is, there are a lot of us who, who think that we're pretty good. You know, I mean, I call it the line theory, and, and the way the line theory works is there's a line, and on this end is the bad end of the line, on this end is the good end of the line, and we seek to live our lives in such a way that we're, you know, we're on the good end of the line, so that when we die, we've been good enough that we'll get to go to heaven. Now, that's not Christian thinking. In fact, it's Islam is what it is. Islam teaches that there's not a line, but a scale, and in the scale, there's good and bad. And if you have one more good deed than bad deed, you get to go to paradise when you die. An appealing thing about the, the scale or the line theory is we get to decide what happens. You see, it's our effort. The truth of the matter is it's not about our effort because when did Jesus die for us? When we were still sinners. Jesus died for us before we did anything. And after we received that grace, that what we don't deserve... He forgives us, and, and, the, and the thing about forgiveness is it's to grant pardon or remission of an offense, a debt, etc., to absolve. So grace is a gift. Actually, forgiveness is a gift. Grace cost, cost Jesus everything, and his forgiveness of us cost Jesus everything, and that's the similarity. Jesus paid the whole price, and he gives us a gift. But the thing about a gift is you have to accept it, or it's not a gift. I mean, if I, okay, I'm going to show you this. I have two tickets here for the Pittsburgh Pirates game on Friday, June uh, 12th. These are real tickets. These are my season tickets. My brother and I have a 20-game package, and we can't go that night. So we're going to give you these two tickets. And it costs $28 a piece, so it's worth 56 bucks. And so if somebody raises their hand, I'm going to give them to you. Okay, first hand I saw was Claire. Claire, here's the gift. No strings attached. The only thing is you have to go, all right? Will you go? All right, so it's a gift. Actually, I can't even attach that string. There you go. Okay, if the baby doesn't come. 
Okay, pass it on to somebody else if you can't use it. All right, so that's a very simple point, right? Those tickets are hers now. I have no claim to them anymore. They're hers. That's what a gift is. So when Jesus died on the cross, he extended the gift of grace and the gift of forgiveness to anybody who would say yes. It's really that simple. And that's what we're talking about today is that God loved us so much that when we could not pay the price of our sin, he forgave us. And, and so uh, as we look at that idea, here, here's what I want you to understand. And I'm, I'm going to put it up on the screen, or actually Steve is. God extends his grace and forgiveness to us, and in return, he expects us to show forgiveness to others. There, there are no strings attached to God's grace and forgiveness, but he does expect that if we've been forgiven, we'll forgive others. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, and, and actually, the take-home point for today goes a step farther. It says that forgiveness is never deserved. Obviously, it's a gift. But when we give it, we are freed too. Okay, when we are forgiven, Jesus tells us to forgive others. And when we forgive somebody who offends us, we are freed too. I want to give you a, a, another little illustration. Oftentimes in our marriage, I've been married now 36 years to Nancy, I've done things wrong. And when I do things wrong, what I think I can do is I can go buy flowers or I can take her out to dinner or I can mow the grass or, you know, vacuum the carpet and that'll make it all well. It won't. What has to happen is she has to forgive me. The ball's in her court, so to speak. Now, she can choose not to forgive me, in which case the relationship stays fractured, or she can forgive me and I'm free. The debt's paid because she just gave me that gift of forgiveness. But the thing is, when she forgives me, she's freed too. And that's what Andy Wygant was trying to teach me back a long, long time ago when he confronted me, you know, about my not going to church because they were all hypocrites. Because as, as Jesus taught the disciples, people do stuff wrong in the church. And when people do stuff wrong in the church, we're supposed to hold them accountable. And it was wrong for me to not be in worship and not to be in fellowship because I was thinking I was really better than others because I didn't think I was a hypocrite and they were. And so he called me to accountability. And Jesus said, there's a way you do that. It's in Matthew 18. And the way you do that is you go to the brother one-on-one, -on -one, which is what Andy did. And if the brother repents, comes back to the, you know, the thing, actually they receive the forgiveness and then they're restored. And if they don't, then you take another, you take two people. And if the two people aren't enough, then you bring the person in front of the whole church. And if they don't accept the whole church's you know, accountability, then you say you have to leave until you're willing to you know, accept the, the accountability of the church. And um, fortunately for me, Andy's confrontation was loving and gentle and true. And God used that to restore me to the relationship. And then uh, there's something that is interesting. After Jesus told the disciples about this, I, I, I picture Peter sitting around going, hmm, okay, so that means if somebody hurts me, I'm going to have to forgive them because how can people be restored if there's no forgiveness? And so he knew the Jewish law, and, and he knew the Jewish, well, tradition, not law, but the Jewish tradition said if somebody hurts you once, you have to forgive them. The second time, you have to forgive them. The third time, you have to forgive them. The fourth time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and following. And as we turn to, it's in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. If you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to follow along, it'll be up on the screen if you don't. And Jesus and Peter sort of have this one-on-one. -on -one. 
and Peter asks a question. Peter's always asking a question or giving answers, right? And so it says this, Peter came to him, that is Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. You see, Peter's being generous. He knows that he has to forgive the person three times. So he's saying, how about I double that and add one? Don't you think I'm being generous, Jesus? And before we look at Jesus' answer, let's pause for a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the account we're about to read and for how it teaches us about forgiveness. And God, I know that forgiveness is never easy. And it wasn't easy for Jesus. It isn't easy for us. And so we pray for your spirit to show us and teach us about forgiveness today and about your amazing grace and how we can forgive because we've been forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus answers, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Whoa, 490 times? Peter's got to be thinking, that's crazy. 400, I have to forgive a guy 490 times or a lady 490 times? And really what Jesus is saying, there's no limit. Because here's the question. How much did Jesus forgive you and me on the cross? Everything. He didn't forgive most of our sins. He didn't forgive 490 of our sins, right? Heck, that would only get me through a couple of bad days. <laughs> he forgave us all of our sins. And so what Jesus is saying is when somebody sins against you, you have to forgive him or her forever. Now, Jesus knew that this was going to cause Peter to have some trouble, so he told a story, a parable. He took a teachable moment and he taught. And here's what he said. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Okay, we are told this is a parable about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about God's realm, which is eternal, which also is temporal. But, and what he's saying is... There's a king, that's me, God, and uh, I have people that owe me stuff. God owe, God, all of us owe God stuff, right? We owe God our lives because we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of sin is death. And, and so this is a parable about us. This is a parable about people who go, owe God something, and, and it says this, that this one servant, um, <laughs> he was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now that sounds like a lot of money. Until you realize that if you look at the footnote and figure out that it was so many days wages and you do it in today's math, it's $10 billion. This servant owed the king $10 billion. All right. It says he couldn't pay. No kidding. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. In those days... If you owed a master money and you couldn't pay, they put you in jail. It was called debtor's prison, and you had to do stuff to work off your debt. Now, he was going to put his, uh, the servant and his, the servant's wife and children in debt until they, or into prison until they paid it off. Now, let me ask you this question. Is that fair? Well, yeah, it's according to the law. It's fair. That's the way the law was. The debtor knew that if he got that much in debt, eventually he's going to end up in prison. So it's fair. Now, it says, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Wow. The master, the king, God, forgave $10 billion worth of debt. Is that incredible? And this is a parable about what? It's a parable about us. 
We all owe God something. Some of us might owe him a little bit, but we all owe him something. And some of us owe him a tremendous penalty. And he says, my son died on the cross. He paid the penalty. You're free. It's all paid. Now, if that was where the account ended, it would be, okay, let's all go home and let's, you know, receive God's love and forgiveness. But it doesn't end there. It says this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now, wait a minute. This guy had just been forgiven billions of dollars. He goes out and finds a guy that owes him a few thousand bucks. You go, a few thousand bucks, Chris, that's a lot of money. A lot of money compared to 10 billion? Are you kidding me? And he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me. Now, we see a lesson coming here. And and the lesson is here. He says, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. Now, does that sound familiar? The guy just got forgiven $10 billion, and now the servant that has this little debt owed to him, the, the, the fellow servant says, just give me a bit more time. I'll pay you back. And we probably would think, well, Jesus is trying to show you that this is how you do it. So this guy's going to say, no problem, no, no big deal. But that's not what happens. What happens is the guy says his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Wow, that's wrong at so many levels. This guy had been forgiven billions of dollars. He won't forgive thousands of dollars. He won't wait a minute. He puts the guy in prison until the guy pays back the debt. Now, everybody who would have ever heard about this would have said, this isn't right. And actually, some of the other servants saw this going on. And so here's what happens. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So how long would it take to pay off $10 billion in prison? Never. He would have died in prison. And that's the point. If we've been given this great forgiveness, this great grace from God, then we are called to pass it on. And, and in fact, in today's terminology, we might say pay it forward, right? I've received a blessing and so I pass it on or I pay it forward. I give it to somebody else. And, and that's what this message is all about. And, and, and it's said so powerfully, not because of how it ends up here, but because of the final punchline, what Jesus says, lastly, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Whoa. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer, sort of. You know, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, um, forgive us our sins or our debts or our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who have sinned or, you know, that had trespassed against us. And, and, and that's the point Jesus is making to Peter. Peter, you know, you want to forgive seven times and then think you've paid it up? You've been forgiven an infinite amount. That's what it really amounts to, because it can go on forever. And, and the forgiveness is there. So what you need to do now, Peter, and what we all need to do as we're, we're here today, is we need to understand the grace of God says you get what you don't deserve. You deserve to die, but you get life. You deserve to be punished, but you get freedom. And once you've received it, then all I'm asking is that you pay it forward. And, and actually what I'm saying is if you don't, there will be a consequence. 
And there is a consequence. And the consequence of unforgiveness is we stay in prison ourselves. That's why the take-home point says that when we forgive others, you know, we receive freedom. Because everybody has been unforgiving. All of us have. And we know that you start to feel bitter towards the other person. You start to feel angry towards the other person. You, you hold on to it, and it, it just feels terrible. And so the relationship stays broken, or the debt remains unpaid, and you feel bad about it. And you feel worse about it with each passing day. And so here's today's commitment. I will forgive quickly this week that I may live freely. I will forgive quickly this week that I may live freely. And I know some of you are sitting in there and you're saying, yes, but. But Chris, you don't understand the debt that's owed to me. You don't understand what somebody did to me. And I don't. I don't understand what somebody might have done to you. I don't understand what a parent might have done to you or a child might have done to you or a boss might have done to you or a teacher or, or somebody. I, I don't know. Or, or a group of people. I, I don't know what somebody did to you. But I do know this. When The Passion of the Christ, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, I went to the theater the first day it was released and I went and watched it, you know. And, uh, and afterwards, somebody said, did you like it? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? How can you like watching a movie that graphically depicts what happened to Jesus because of my sin? As I watched that, I realized that the flesh was torn off his back and the blood was spurting out of his head and he was spit on, you know, and they punched him and then they crucified him because of what I did. And, and he forgave me for that. And, and, and so what I'm saying here this morning is, I, I don't know what you've experienced. I've experienced some pretty bad things too, maybe not as bad as you. But the truth of the matter is, none of us have experienced what Jesus experienced. And he was innocent. He never did anything wrong. And, and so all he's saying is, whatever it is you're holding on to today, I've forgiven it all, so let go of it. And, and many years ago, I think it was back in about 1998, I learned this little prayer. I only have two prayers that I remember. One is the Lord's Prayer, and one is called the Forgiveness Prayer that Mark Keppert, a missionary friend of ours, taught me back in China. And he was teaching a whole group. But it goes like this. It's up on the screen. Father, I forgive every person, living or dead, who has ever used me, abused me, or hurt me in any way. I release them to you that you may bless them and bring them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, that's a nice general prayer. But there's somebody that hurt you, and you need to put their name in that prayer. Not out loud, but you need to put that name. And last night, my brother Ken was sitting right over there where Cheryl's sitting today. And, and I said, Ken, for instance, you might say this, Chris, or Father, I forgive Chris, who used me, abused me, and hurt me. I release him to you that you may bless him and bring him to yourself in Jesus' name. And, and actually, last night was the first time in my life I've ever admitted that my brother Ken was wrong ever. I mean, my brother Ken was right ever. And that, you know, that I actually did stuff bad to him. Because it was always him. You know. And that's how we say. But, you know, I did bad stuff to my brother. You know, I punched him. I kicked him. I did bad things. I told, called him names. I told him he was adopted. <laughs> I mean, and he looks just like me. So if he's adopted, so am I. But, you know, I mean, I did all kinds of mean, nasty things to him over the years. And so I was, hopefully, he was saying, Father, I forgive Chris. Because he's used me, abused me, and hurt me. 
and, and did some things that I won't even tell you that I did to him, you know? Um, and, and so what we're going to do right now, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes if you would. And I want you to think of the person or persons who you haven't let go of what they've done to you. And I want you to say, Father, I forgive, and then fill in the blank, who used me, abused me, hurt me in so many ways. Right now, I release that person to you, that you may bless them and bring them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, God's amazing grace is for everybody. It is. His forgiveness in Jesus Christ is for everybody. But we have to receive it. Just like Claire took the tickets. You have to say, yes, Jesus, I take it. I receive it. I welcome it. And then there's even something better. And that is to pass it on. Because there is nothing that God gives us in our lives that we're not supposed to pass on to somebody else. You see? We're blessed to be a blessing. We're forgiven to forgive we receive from God so much, everything really. And, and he says, you will feel the best when you pass it on. And that's why this week we're committing to forgive quickly so that we will live freely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he endured more than I can imagine or any of us for my sin and our sin. I thank you that as they were driving the nails in his hands, he did say to you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing and that you have forgiven us by the blood of Jesus. And I pray right now that you'd pour your spirit into us in a new and fresh way. God, that if any have never trusted you as Savior and Lord, they would say right now, yes, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Save me from my sins, from death. Be my Lord, come in and own me. And, and for the rest of us, God, that we would receive that grace and forgiveness in a new way that we could pass it on to others. God, I pray for the freest life that we've ever lived this week because we receive your amazing grace in all its abundance and pay it forward to every person in our spheres of influence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.